Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Slow the down. Go kill it. Kill it. Kill the owner. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Said reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Well, we're docked now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we are back at you and ready to continue with our off-season review series. We are going to cover the Brooklyn Nets and the Charlotte Hornets tonight as we continue to go alphabetically through the NBA. We have already covered the Atlanta Hawks and the Boston Celtics, so if you're interested in either one of those, I recommend that you go back and listen. Both of those teams had a lot going on this off-season, so we kept them to their own specific shows. That'll kind of be the way to go um we are gonna if it gets really going long on a team we're gonna cut it and just have one team in that episode but if it's if they've done a little bit less and we think we can get two in we will get two into one episode and the we is myself keith smith i'm your host and i am joined as always by my recording partner pete toll pete how are you doing great keith ready to dive into some uh scouting reports and overall look at, at some teams so Absolutely. let's get going yeah, no, we're we're really excited. Um, you know, these are two teams um that are both uh interesting, both um you know, we're we're down a little bit. Well the the Nets have been down for a little bit now. Charlotte was down a little bit last year, so we're gonna uh see where they ultimately will end up and we'll we'll talk about that as we get into it. But as we always do, how this will work, um we'll do the Nets first and we will do the players that they lost first, then the players who are coming in, a couple key questions for them, and then a little bit of a look at how much cap space they have left and then Pete and I in in lieu of grades because grades are so subjective and nobody really likes them um what we're going to do is an up and down stock up stock down report on where they're headed um and go from that I can promise you I do not know Pete's answers Pete Pete might know mine because of the the way I do the outline a little Mm -hmm. bit of a peek behind the curtain so he's already seen a couple of my thoughts on these things but uh but I can tell you if 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 he lets me influence him on his thoughts then then I'm getting a new Um, co-host now <laughs> can't let you do that. Gotta have, gotta have my own, my own thoughts. So. That's it. You know, and I, and I, and I trust it. So, so yeah, so we're going to get right into it with the Brooklyn Nets. Let's start off with the players who are headed out. Randy Foy is a free agent. Foy is uh, still, the Nets still retain his cap hold. I get this question a lot because people will come at me and say, Hey, I saw that they have this much in cap space, but when I looked at your salary sheets, it says that they only have this much. And the reason why a big chunk of that is Randy Foy's cap hold. The Nets didn't renounce him. The way renouncing free agents work is a lot of times teams don't bother unless they 
need to free up the cap space to make a move. Otherwise, they'll just let the rights sit there. There's no harm in doing so. Um, it allows you to sign the player for a little bit more than what you had them under contract for, or in some cases, a lot more. And it depends on the type of rights, whether they're a non-bird, early bird, or a bird-free agent, as well as it allows you to use them in a sign-and-trade as long as you keep keep their free agent rights and the like um, under this. So, so Randy Foy has not been renounced, but unfortunately for Randy Foy, that's probably not going to help him because I don't think there's a spot for him on this roster with all the guards that they have. They added a couple who we'll talk about a little bit later. They've got some really good ones still on the roster, carryover guys from the previous year. But, Pete, is that how you see it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he put, he started 40 games last season. That is not going to happen again if he was brought back um, to the Nets. If he is somehow brought back, which I personally don't think he is, it's just in a veteran mentor role, but I think he's better suited elsewhere, um, you know, come off the bench, 15 to 18 points a game somewhere. 15, 18 minutes a game. Right? Or minutes a game, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, boy, you're, you are high yeah. on Randy Foy. Man. Yeah, I am not that high on Randy Foy. Minutes per game. So. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm going to guess he hasn't done that in his entire career. I, I don't know. He has not. <laughs> yeah. you know, and it, But you're right. That's really what he is. He's kind of a combo guard, can play a little bit of the one, a little bit of the two, should be coming off the bench, probably on a better team where he's like a fifth guard, ideally a guy who can, you know, he's just going to be a veteran who stays ready. I do know Brooklyn liked him. They were very happy with what he brought them last year it would not shock me if we get deep into the offseason and they still have a roster spot if that's the direction they go especially if you know they had some kind of injury at the guard position or something like that but but as we talk their their additions you will we'll start to see why they don't have room and speaking of not having room another guy who's a combo type of guard archie goodwin he was waived he was fully non-guaranteed he had some escalators in his contract but didn't hit any of them so no cap hit for the nets he was waived. He's cleared waivers. He's still out there as a free agent. Um, kind of get caught up in the same thing as Randy Foy. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time on Goodwin um, unless you really have thoughts on him, Pete. No, just that Goodwin, I mean, he played well in, in spots last season in the 12 games that he did play. Um, I kind of think that he still is more of a um, kind of a tweener guard between the two and, and playing the point guard. They did try him at point guard last season. Workout decent, but I still think he, he needs to get an outside shot to, um, in order to succeed in the league. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's got work to do. I know he spent some time in the, down in the G League last year. That's probably where he's likely headed back to. I think he's a guy who would, at this point in his career, unless he gets a big offer overseas, think he'd rather stay close to home and be available for a 10 day, um, and a, and a call up in season as injury strike. Cause he's one of those guys, he's just right on the fringe of being an NBA roster guy. And it just wasn't going to happen for him with the Nets. As we move on now, now we're, we're headed into a couple of bigs here Justin Hamilton he was traded to the Toronto Raptors in a trade for Damari Carroll we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the other side of the coin with the guys who are coming in and then the Raptors waved and stretched Hamilton he was owed three million for one season an expiring contract so how that waiver stretch provision works is the Raptors waived him they'll have a one million dollar cap hit for this year and then the next two seasons as well the reason they did that that was to lower their luxury tax bill as they were pushing right up against being a luxury tax team and they want do not want to be a luxury tax team especially not for a guy like Justin Hamilton but Hamilton's return to the NBA I would say was moderately successful 
He did a nice job as a backup big man for Brooklyn. He can hit a lot of open shots. Um, he's, you know, a pretty good shooter from the outside. He ultimately signed in China, I believe. Who He signed on a team with somebody else. Who was it? Do you remember? Mm, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Right, no. give, give your thoughts on Justin Hamilton, and I'm going to look that up because it, it's another NBA guy. Well, with Hamilton, it was kind of interesting because he had a, you know, a run in the NBA prior to coming back last season. Ended up, um, before last season, he played in um, the EuroLeague for Valencia. Did well there. Came back last season with Brooklyn. Um, more so a stretch big, you know, all the way out to the three-point line. Was able to knock those down quite considerably. And I actually thought that um, he had a good future in the league. Only going to be 27, but um, going to make some good money in China nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I may be wrong. Maybe he didn't sign with anybody because I'm not seeing anything now. So, um, you know, nothing at least jumping off the the top of my my head here. But he is, um, yeah, he he's a big guy, seven footer. He's probably going to put up really good numbers in China um, because they're very much an offensive slant over there. He's actually playing for the uh, Beijing Ducks, who are uh, Stefan Marbury's former team. Marbury has been uh, he's moving on. He's going to play for a different team over in China. Oh, he's with um, Aaron. Um, is it Aaron Jackson? Oh, maybe. Is that, who that could be. That could be it. Yeah. Aaron Jackson. That's yeah, who I it is. I think you're right. Yep. Because um, I forgot Jackson took Marbury's spot. And then Sun Yu is also on the team um, along with Randolph Morris, both uh, former fringe NBA players as well. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, one thing to know too, this is just kind of an interesting thing. If you're monitoring these guys in China, um, but as we, you know, we're not going to talk too more. This isn't the, uh, the CBA, um, front <laughs> office podcast, but a couple of things over in China that are interesting. And people ask me about Gershon Yavasele, who came over, um, for, for the Boston Celtics and he played most of his year in China last year. Why didn't he play more? Well, they have rules in China that domestic, um, players have to play more than any international players who are brought in. International players can only play so many quarters together. Um, so the team, the coaches have to really get creative with how they stagger um, time. They can only play two quarters um, together on the court. So they have to really kind of stagger their time, how they do it. So it starts to make it a little messy. Um, but, and yet, despite that guy still put up, you know, 40 points a game and things like that. So, you know, it'll be interesting, but that is far too much conversation about both Justin Hamilton and the Chinese Basketball Association. Let's get back into it here with Brooke Lopez. He was traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. Lopez, longtime net, actually the Nets' all-time leading scorer, became the all-time leading scorer late in last season. And um, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's it's unfortunate the Nets were down for so much of Lopez's time because I think it caused him to be underrated, as well as all the injuries he had. Um, you know, he's one of still to this day, one of the best offensive centers in the NBA. And he added a three-point shot completely out of nowhere last season, made made more three-pointers than uh, like 10 times as many three-pointers as he had attempted previous to last season, you know, really rounding it out, uh, becoming that kind of stretch five um, presence in there um, on the offensive end of, Probably, he's not a good defender, but he can do a little bit as far as protecting the rim. You know, when we get into the Lakers, we'll talk a lot more about him. But what did the Nets lose with Brooke Lopez headed out of well, town? They lost a leader first and foremost, and just a franchise cornerstone and, and just a great all-around guy that, you know, pretty much took on 
the bulk of the offensive load for the last few years. And, and yes, he had the foot injuries, you know, up and down, um, you know, as far as being able to stay healthy. But last year really emerged, like you just said, with that three-point shot, and, and it just kind of shocked everybody out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, hit him at a considerable, considerably good clip. So, um, you know, they're going to really lose a, um, you know, big part of their team, but, you know, they're, they're going younger and, and want to run up and down the floor. So, um, and, and with Lopez, he's got a, a very good point guard that's, uh, coming into the league to, to get him the ball. So good situation for both the Nets and the Lakers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, um, it is, it's a, it's a big loss, but this was a, uh, this was something the Nets had to do as we get into the, to the, to the other side of this where they added, you know, talented guys. It's gonna, you know, mean a lot, um, for them. So I think it'll be really, um, good with that is what will, um, ultimately happen is he's gonna be a free agent after the season. And we'll talk a lot more about this when we get into the Lakers, but the Lakers acquired him as much for that as they did that he is a good player. Um, but that that's more for the Lakers offseason review. Back to the Nets. K.J. McDaniels headed out of town. He was scheduled to be a restricted free agent. The Nets did not offer him a qualifying offer after they declined a team option. Uh, when, when you go both of those routes, that probably says you're not a part of the plans. McDaniels is a guy a lot of people fell in love with him in Philadelphia. Pete, I know you're pretty familiar with him from, from his Sixers mm-hmm. days. Um, yeah. But he is, uh, you know, it's still, he, he's at this point still really an athletic guy. Who can't do a whole heck of a lot else. Exactly. Yeah. And Philadelphia, he bet on himself. Obviously signing a unique contract, didn't want to take the terms that at the time Sam Hinkie, um, you know, and staff kind of wanted to give. And with McDaniels, he's kind of a mixed bag, like you said. Very athletic, can can really throw down with dunks and and just, you know, using his athleticism to get to the rim, but has no shot whatsoever from the outside. And and I think that's what's hindering him. And he kind of worked on the corner three uh, a little bit last season, but still only hitting 28%. That's not going to get it done now that the NBA is going to more of a, um, you know, wing uh, shooting, you know, kind of uh, concept as far as teams go. And especially with, with the Nets, um, they had a kind of, in my mind, a choice to make. You have a shooter in Joe Harris. You have Sean Kilpatrick that can kind of play both guard spots. And then Isaiah Whitehead, you didn't really have room for KJ McDaniels. So, yeah. Not losing a whole heck of a lot there. Yeah, the Nets between additions this this summer and guys who are coming back on the roster, they're just loaded with guys who can play both the two and the three, as well as guys who can play the two and the one. They've got more than enough players that can do that, so it's definitely not a uh, um, you know real need for them to to uh, to keep a guy like McDaniel's around. They you know I know a lot of people were critical of like this is the kind of guy they should be trying to develop. Well, the problem is they've got like four other guys like him exactly. trying to develop. So yeah, so and then the last guy had out of town Andrew Nicholson it's uh this is one of them we hardly knew you um he came in at the trade deadline barely played for the Nets um Nicholson got last summer he he's going to be one of those poster boys of um the summer of 2016 and the contracts of what in the world happened there um anybody who knew Nicholson's time here in Orlando we're all like oh it's great guy hope he catches on somewhere for the minimum or maybe just above and then the Wizards here here's you know 20 plus million dollars over four years and we're like wait what what Andrew Nicholson um and then did nothing for Washington traded to to Brooklyn and what was 
really a uh, we we have to give you something um, as as they acquired uh, Boyan Bogdanovich at the trade deadline, and then Nicholson did you know now traded to the Portland Trailblazers in what was really a uh, a a good addition for the Nets and then a salary dump for the Trailblazers. Now, on the Blazers' side, he's expected to be waived and stretched, but that has not happened yet. Um, the reason why is Portland's under no rush to do that. I, my assumption is what they're looking to do is they'll wait until the, the deadline for that, which is at the end of this month. Um, and if they can't get it done, then then what they'll do is they will say, you know, hey, we'll uh, we'll, we'll look, we'll we'll um, you know see if we can't. Uh, move him and get him out of here in a trade. If not, then they'll then they'll move on and do what they you know wanted to do um, with which is waving and stretching Nicholson anyway. But I know you probably don't have anything to say about Nicholson. Well, he just he hasn't done much. I kind of thought that he would come into the league as a, a bench scorer, be able to put up points in a hurry, and it just has not happened for him at all. Like he doesn't shoot a good percentage. At the rim, he's not able to really stretch out to the three-point line consistently. And so I don't really see him kind of have an NBA spot. I think he could thrive another guy going over to China that could put up a, a you know monster amount of points. And, you know, maybe we'll hear from him, you know, in a year or two. Maybe he's fringe back on the NBA radar, but I don't I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, he's just way too slow. Like, that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing in everything that he does. I'm on both ends of the floor. So, you know, if anything, he's, he's like your, you know, your fifth, sixth big man break in case of emergency kind of guy mm-hmm. that, that you would bring in. So, all right. So that's what the Nets lost. So let's flip it to the other side and what they're bringing in. Um, and let's start it with the, with the big names. Um, D'Angelo Russell and Timofey Mozgov, they came in in the trade for Brooke Lopez, um, where the Nets also sent a, um, pick the Lakers way um, in that deal. The Lakers, again, they, they really did it as they're attempting to clear some salary to maybe be free agent players next summer in the summer of 2018. And the Nets are looking to get, they're, they're looking to try to get that guy who could be a star on the roster without a draft pick, you know, or they had that late first round draft pick from the Celtics via the pick swap um, this season in the 2017 draft. So without a high draft pick, they weren't going to be able to bring the guy in that way. So they went out and got Russell. Russell with a high draft pick just a couple of years ago. And now he's with the Nets. No matter what you think of Russell, the guy can do one thing and one thing uh, pretty well already. And that's score the ball. Um, he, he is able to put up some points. He's, I think the Lakers wanted him to be a point guard, but he's probably not really a point guard. I don't, I don't know if he ever gets there as that, but he's mm-hmm. a good combo guard. You know, and I think if he's playing off the ball next to some other guys who know what they're doing, which he may be this year, he'll probably play off the ball next to Jeremy Lin quite a bit. I think Russell, we could see him blo- blossom into, you know, 15 to 17 to maybe even 20 point per game score by the end of the season. What do you think about Russell with the Nets? I actually like this because it takes some of the uh, media pressure off of Russell as yep. far as obviously L.A. to Brooklyn, um, that first. But with Russell, I always thought he was more of a two. He's not very quick being able to get past his defender. So playing that point guard spot, you kind of have to have that elite speed um, to, you know, get guy by a guy like a John Wall or something like that. Now um, playing off the ball, he can kind of look to still create if he needs to because he's still an incredible uh, passer as far as, you know, seeing open guys, things like that, which Lakers fans didn't see a whole heck of a lot because he had to take on so much of the, the scoring role on a young team. 
Now with Jeremy Lin kind of next to him in the backcourt, I think that you'll see Lin um, get some spot-up opportunities. Russell will be able to create a little more. And then Russell, being off the ball, can look to um, score when when need be. And um, Overall, with Russell, the one thing that I, I hope that he develops – um, since he's only 20 years old, I hope he develops a, a way to be able to get all the way to the rim and finish. Right now, that's kind of a, a struggle for him, and, and I, I hope he improves on that. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, you know, there's he he can score off the dribble, which is nice to see too. He has a nice pull up jump shot um, with that. So I, it, it'll be interesting to see where he, you know, is. Um, like where it all goes for him from here, I think this is a big, you know, opportunity for him. And I don't think there is a point that with the Lakers, it was hitting a point where there was Julius Randle, then there was Brandon Ingram, now there's Lonzo Ball. It was too too many young guys trying to all develop into who was going to be the man there in Brooklyn. He doesn't really have that, you know. So if if it's going to be him, that's great. But they can also take it slow enough for him to get there. Right, so he doesn't mm-hmm. have to, um, you know, push to to be there, you know, this year or next year or anything like that. If it takes a couple of years, you know, so so be it. That's what it takes, and that's where the Nets will go. Now, flipping it over to the other guy they they acquired in this trade, Timofey Mozgov. Now, Mozgov has been, um, you know, is let's start here. Is he overpaid? Yes. You know, is he complete garbage? No, he's not. You know, and he wasn't bad for the Lakers last year. It's just the Lakers said we stink. There's no reason to play him. Same thing with Luol Deng. Well, neither one of them are great. It's just, let's play the young guys. And I kind of applaud the Lakers for not saying, oh, we sunk all this money into them. We have to play them. They said, forget it. We're going to go young and play, you know, uh, Vita Zubac and Ingram Moore and just kind of go out there and see what we can get done. Now, Moskov coming into Brooklyn, I think he's probably going to be their starting center this year. And Mm -hmm. I think they're just going to ask him to do what he can do, which is, Play, play defense, rebound, block some shots, and score on occasion inside. And it will not shock me if you start seeing Timofey Moskov start taking a lot more jump shots this year. They love that five-out style and really have unleashed guys to go ahead and just shoot it you know, and see where it goes. I think you're going to see Moskov bounce back this year in a big way. Not to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, he's worth all the money he's being paid because that's probably never happening. But I do think you're going to see it get back to like, all right, maybe he's not the worst contract or in discussion for the worst contract in the NBA. Yeah, that's the thing. Last year, seven point or seven and a half points, um, five rebounds in 20 minutes a game. I mean, that's not bad. Um, but like you said, the Lakers were transitioning elsewhere. Now on the net, he can just do those little things, like you said, rebound, defend, not really have to worry about being the scorer. He can get easy putbacks. He absolutely will stretch the floor this year. I think um, at least out to 18 feet. If not, he may be able to shock some people and and stretch it all the way to the three point line. It's you know not been unheard of as we saw last year with Brook Lopez and with Moskov. He's there as a mentor for for young guys like Jared Allen. You know who basically is going to be their hopefully cornerstone at the center spot for the future. So yeah, I think it's a good pickup. You know, for them. Yeah, and, and, and sorry, I cut you off there, but Alan, you're right on Jared Allen, so let's talk about him next since you brought him up. He was their first-round draft pick this year, and their goal for him is he will be the center of the future. You know, really good offensive player, um, can can do – 
kind of okay on the defensive end, but he's very young. So, you know, if, if you listen to the Celtics and the Hawks, uh, one thing we're consistent in is these young guys, these rookies, they all stink on defense for the most part. Barely any of them come in ready. And if they're ready to play NBA defense, the chances are their offensive game is abysmal. Um, so, and that's kind of where Allen is, is he's not very good on defense and probably won't be right away, but he can do some things. Now he, he didn't play in summer league. He was, he was nicked up, um, but it doesn't sound like it's anything serious. He should be back and ready to go for the start of the season. And I do think there's the potential that he sees a decent amount of time here with the Nets this year. They don't, they don't have a ton. Um, behind Mozgov in, in terms of true centers. Um, probably the, the only other guy that can, can fill that role is Trevor Booker, who is back, um, as, as a backup, um, with them. But they also have no problem going extremely small. Um, Kenny Atkinson, who, you know, for, for what it's worth in my money, he did a fantastic job with this team last year in his first year. Um, really they, they were a fun team to watch. You know, I know they stunk, but they were a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, they played an entertaining mm-hmm. style, get up and down the floor, shoot a ton of three pointers. They they play these wacky lineups that like, what in the world is this? It's like five small forwards out here all at once. And but that's what you should do when you're gonna be terrible. Just experiment and see what you get out of it. So, you know, so back to Allen, I think I think he's probably a guy who's he's probably gonna start off slow to begin the year. I don't know how much time he'll see, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a big part of the rotation by the time we hit you know, mid to late January, we're about that that halfway point in the season. I think by that point, you'll start seeing him be a much bigger presence. What, what do you think about Allen? How? What do you? What? What do you? What can you tell us about his game? Well, with Jared Allen coming off the hip injury, which all accounts say that he's going to be fully healthy for training camp, he brings kind of a fluidity to his game. Um, the thing with him is he has that wide frame and, and extremely long wingspan. Um, very good at dunking the ball, things like that. The one thing that kind of concerns me is that he doesn't always have the, the best instincts um, when it comes to, you know, timing, things like that. But what rookie does, yeah. um, he'll get, you know, he'll get that in time. And then um, on the offensive end, he'll get easy alley-oops. He'll get those quick transition dunks, things like that. Um, I think you're absolutely right. By by the time we get to late January, early February, he'll, you know, lock into the rotation. And I would not be surprised um, if Mozgov and and him pretty evenly split minutes um, down the stretch for for the season. Um, I I did want to touch on Kenny Atkinson just for a minute um, as far as his developmental skills. Um, many don't know that he started with the Knicks as an assistant and really helped develop that team for many years and then really, really, really developed underneath, uh, Mike Budenhoser with the Hawks, um, which is where he was before he took the head coaching job with Brooklyn last season, but really worked on helping guys uh, hone their craft as far as, um, outside shooting and just developing weaknesses in their game and, and it shined through last season, like you said, those those intricate lineups throughout there kind of put guys out of their comfort zone and really helped them excel in areas where they were weak. And although Brooklyn didn't, you know, they only won 20 games, uh, the potential is just oozing out of that team because of Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, he did, if... My hope is much like Brett Brown in Philadelphia is that he gets mm-hmm. to see this through. Yeah, I hope it doesn't turn into one of those things where they get um 
they get good. And then it's like, all right, thanks for that. And now we're going to move on to somebody else. And we've seen that all too often um, in the NBA where that happens. So I'm really hoping it seems like Philadelphia is saying, you know what, we're going to stick with um, Brett Brown and let him you know, see this through at least this year now that they should be moving forward. I hope when mm-hmm. the Nets are on the other side of this that Atkinson gets the same kind of level of trust and treatment that he's able to also uh, move forward with the team. Um, all right, let's move into the next guy. So the Nets, they, they made um, three big trades this summer. The next one was they brought in Damari Carroll from the Toronto Raptors. It was really, call it what it is, it was a straight salary dump for Toronto. Um, they just wanted to get out from under Carroll's contract. They had brought in other guys and plans to bring in other guys to fill his spot on the roster. Carroll is now back with Atkinson, who he you know played under in Atlanta. He was one of his coaches as Carroll broke out with the Hawks and got the big contract from the Raptors. So the hope is maybe they can kind of recapture some of that magic there with him. Um, he has struggled though, both with injuries and on the, just his play on the floor the last couple of seasons in Toronto was never really the player that the, the Raptors hoped he would be. And, um, you know, now he's, he's with the Nets. The Nets, uh, by taking him in, they absorb the remaining two years on his contract, 14.8 million in 17, 18, 15.4 million in 18, 19 as an expiring contract next year, um, as we get into the 18, 19 season. But what do you think Carroll has the potential to bring the Nets? Um, he's more of a veteran. One thing with Carroll that I didn't like is just kind of the way he left Toronto with some of the comments he made. I just, I'm not a, I'm not a believer in dogging your former employer. You just kind of leave it, say, hey, it didn't work out, move on. Um, you know, doesn't, doesn't really shine you in the best light. But as far as on the court. One second on that. One thing though I do think is I think a lot of the blame got placed at his feet for what they weren't the last couple Mm -hmm. of years. You know, and I think there might have been even some unfair expectations that they were going to be this title contender. And that wasn't really going to happen. And I think people threw, threw a lot of that shade at him. And I also feel like people blamed him because he wasn't a LeBron stopper. You know, and that was something that I, I never heard that built up until he got there. You know, like, oh, this is a guy who we're going to throw against LeBron James. Well, yeah, good luck. He weighs about half what LeBron weighs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, and that's, I mean, and I don't care if he weighed the same as what LeBron weighs. He's still not stopping him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. But, you know, I just wanted to interject. But go ahead. Well, what's he going to bring him on the court? Um, as far as on the court, I think he transitions from, you know, primarily as a small forward into a um, more of a stretch power forward role. Now, he did have a very, very successful season in 2014-2015 with the Hawks. It was under Kenny Atkinson's guidance there as a development coach. He shot his best um, 39, almost 40% from three that season. Um, obviously, his numbers were down because of injury the last two years in, in Toronto. So I think he'll, he'll see an uptick in, in production. And, and honestly, to you know, go ahead and spoil it, I think he's actually the starter um, at power forward for them. Um, as they look to, to stress the floor uh, moving forward. But give me intangibles on defense, too. Yeah, not only did you you spoil that part of it, but we're in complete agreement on that, mm-hmm. which I think is in contrast to many. Um, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. So let's get back into the other big addition, another trade, was Alan Crabb. So now, now this is a fun one because a year ago the – 
Nets tried to sign Alan Crabb as a restricted free agent. They offered him a pretty big contract. Um, but I, I think that's fair to say by all accounts. Um, you know, 18 plus million last year, 19 million. Um, and then he's got two, 19.3 million this year, 18.5 and 18.19, then 18.5 with a player option in 19.20. I'm gonna guess he's not gonna opt out of 18.5 million. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Nets love him. They, he fits right in with what they want to do. They want to shoot a ton of three-pointers. And if there's one thing Alan Crabb can do, he can shoot the three ball. So he's going to fit right into what they want to do offensively. Um, save, save if you think he's going to start till we get to that question because that's, you know, an interesting debate. Um, mm-hmm. But he is – He's now with the Nets, and the Nets, what they had to do was you can't trade. If you sign a guy to an offer sheet and his team matches, you can't trade for that guy for one year. So what the Nets really did was they waited. They tried to make some other moves, one of which we're going to talk about in a second here. When those didn't pan out, then they, they said, all right, let's make the move. They they, they sent Nicholson to, to Portland. Portland generated a bunch of luxury tax savings out of it, and the Nets got the guy, albeit a year later, that they really wanted to get in Alan Crabb. What is your thought about Crabb's fit with the Nets? Well, first of all, I love Alan Crabb, so um, I'm a huge fan of his, and I think he ends up bringing them elite three-point shooting, career-best 44% last season, and the knock on, on Crab is that, you know, kind of he was a little bit inconsistent in Portland, but in Brooklyn, he's going to be able to kind of have a more carved out consistent role um, throughout the season. And he's just there to knock down shots. And underrated for him is he actually is a decent defender. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people try to say, well, you know, look what, what he didn't do in Portland. Well, if you've got, you know, guys that kind of command the Paul a lot and McCollum and, and Lillard, you know, they're, they're only, there's only one ball on the court. So I, I think you'll see a uh, resurgence in um, or emergence, I should say, in Allen Crabb's game uh, next season in Brooklyn. Yeah, so I'm going to say two things. One is 100%. I know you're you're not exactly the most unbiased guy um, towards Allen Crabb. I know you're a big <laughs> fan of his. Mm-hmm. But – I'm, I'm with you. And one of the things why I'm, why I'm with you on it is one is I think he's a lot better than a lot of people know. And it's because let's face it, half of his games are being played when people are asleep in half the country. So I don't think people know. I mean, 44%, we, we, you know, we, we slobber all over and go crazy all for Kyle Corver still. And Kyle Corver is fantastic, but it's like collectively we've given Kyle Corver this pass of like, well, he doesn't do much else, but shoot, but he's so great at it. We're, we're okay with it. Well, that's crab. Crab does the same thing. Now, is he being overpaid? A hundred percent. But if you're going to get a restricted free agent, you have to overpay him. It's the only possible way you're going to get one. If you make him a reasonable offer, in their anything as a player, their their incumbent team's just going to match. So with Crab, um, I'm with you. I think he's going to be really good. I think people are going to realize that he's really good, and I think people will start to realize like the things he can't do. They're not that big of a deal if you have other guys who can do those things. And he's going to be playing in Brooklyn with two ball dominant guards, Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell, and he knows how to play off those guys, which that's an underrated thing as well. Um, Crab can also play anywhere from one through three on defense because he can defend um, and do some things. I think what people will start to realize with Alan Crab is he may be one of the more elite 
three and D guys in the league. Now he's not an elite defender. He's never going to make an all NBA team, but he's more than passable, but he is an elite three guy. You know, he can really knock down shots from there. It won't surprise me at all if Alan Crabb averages like three, four, three pointers uh, a game this year made. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all on, you know, maybe, you know, eight, nine, ten attempts. Um, not, none of that would surprise me at all. Um, just with their style and with his ability to shoot the ball from there. So, um, so that was the big one. Kind of what I was touching on before with the, the Nets is they tried to sign Otto Porter. They gave Otto Porter the full max deal. Um, really kind of a, a, a fun construct of a contract, full max deal with a player option with a 15% trade bonus. And they also threw in with the chance for him. This doesn't affect anything on the salary cap, but in terms of actual payments that he can get 50% of his money up front each year at the beginning of the season, which is really one of the things teams don't, don't want to do that. They don't want to give out money until they have to. So the Nets did everything that they could to try and make it as ugly as possible for Washington to match. And then Washington still matched it, um, which when we get into the Wizards, we'll talk about why they, they really had to. They had no way to replace Porter otherwise. But ultimately what happened here with this one is then once that went through, that's when then the Nets switched gears and moved on to, all right, well, we're going to um, trade for Carroll and use some of our salary cap space that way. We'll go ahead and trade for Crab and bring him in and use some of our cap space that way. I think it was for the Nets was we're not just going to continue to just sit on cap space. If we can collect good players or assets for these players, we're, we're going to do so, and that's that's what they did. Yeah, I think with with Crab too, uh, in my personal opinion, it ends up being a little bit better transaction on the defensive side of the ball um, than than Otto Porter. But just my personal preference. All right, yeah, that's that's interesting. We'll have to see, you know, how that one plays out um, as the rest of the year goes. Now, two more signings for the Nets. We're we're not going to spend a lot on either one of these guys. To be quite frank, we were talking off air. We don't know a lot about either one of these mm-hmm. guys. Um, we dug up what we could, but Yakuba Wutara. Um, he is from France. He was signed by the Nets, um, out of France. He goes by Billy. So that, you know, I, it's, it's not the first name for me that's hard. It's that last name, but, uh, so Billy Wutara, um, signed to a two-way contract. And then Jake Wiley is, um, reportedly going to be signed to a two-way contract. Has not happened as of yet, but sounds like it'll go through. So we could talk about Wutara a little bit. Um, what I was able to see, it looks like he is generally a pretty good athlete. He is is a decent shooter. Um, he is not, you know, he, he's not not overly, you know, special on either one of those things. He did play for for Monaco last year, which is in the, in the French A League. Um, he again, he he is a Frenchman, so or he's he's actually from Ghana, um, but has been living in France. He was born in Ghana, I should say, but has been living in France. I believe he grew up in France. Um, this past year for Monaco, he averaged eleven. Uh, little almost 11 points per game, 10.9 points per game, 38% from behind the three-point line. As I mentioned, he's pretty athletic, can can really kind of score the ball nice inside and outside from the limited highlight tape, but there's, you can't see much else on there. So, yeah, well, we'll just have to see. This is kind of a, a, a 
minimal limited upside play because he's already 25 years old. He'll be 26 about midway through the season. So it'll be interesting about six foot three really is more of a two guard than a shooting guard. So it'll be interesting to see what the Nets get out of him. And then P I know, you know, a little bit more about Jake Wiley. So fill our listeners in a little bit about Jake Wiley. Yeah, but Jake Wiley is kind of interesting because he played at Eastern Washington, but just kind of um, came out of nowhere. Um, and before that, um, he played one season at Montana, um, ended up quitting basketball and really didn't, um, you know, pick it back up until, uh, right before he got to, uh, Lewis Clark State. Um, he had a lot of things off the court, um, as far as just dealing with home life and, and things like that, but he's more of a, um, power wing-esque type player. And with Wiley, he's going to give you, it sounds weird to say, but he's going to give you every effort on the court that he can. Um, I think he really found his love again for basketball and, and just overall what he can bring, um, you know, to the team is just kind of like a guy that can run the floor and transition, kind of score here and there, get rebounds um, if need be. He's not going to really do anything that jumps off, off the charts. Um, I know he didn't look fantastic in summer league, but he's the perfect guy that you can stash in, in the, the G League and, um, you know, utilize as, as the season moves on. Yeah, so Wiley, he's he's 22. He, he only turned 22 in September, so he'll be 22 for basically um, most of, of this. Or I'm sorry, he'll turn 23 in September. I misread the the date on that but he's six foot eight uh pete mentioned he played at eastern washington did um start 34 games there last year shot 64 percent from the field um for Mm -hmm. eastern washington uh 70 or well minimal three pointers they didn't really make any threes but shot uh 82.8 percent from the free throw line nine rebounds a game 2.3 assists 2.7 blocks and 20 um point four points per game so pretty big numbers um, for Wiley there, those are all, you know, per, you know, huge numbers across the board. Um, a really well-rounded all-around game. So you're, you're, just to tag in briefly on him, he's exactly what you want out of the G League. You want to stash guys like mm-hmm. him down there because they can do it and help you out by being the, the, those are the developmental guys that you're hoping you hit on. Um, in the NBA G League, and you're hoping we'll, you know, step forward. So, so that closes it off for what the Nets brought in. So now here's the question. We teased it a little bit. Pete, who's your starting five for the Brooklyn Nets? Oh, um, I, I, I'm going to do this because I, I know I flubbed it up with the, uh, <laughs> with the subjects. So I made it a point to, um, go ahead and run through all 30 team, uh, charts of, of this kind of who I thought was going to play where, but for the Nets, I've got, uh, Moscow starting the year at the center spot. Damari Carroll um, is at the power forward spot. Karis Levert is at small forward. And then I've got Russell off the ball at the two with Jeremy Lin at the point guard spot. Now, what's going to be interesting to me is to see if they hang on to Lin for the entire year or not, if they like Russell at the two or they try to transition him back to point guard and, and make a move for, for Jeremy Lin. But um, key guys off the bench, obviously, um, Alan Crabb. And I'm a big uh, believer in uh, Sean Kilpatrick um, at the backup two spot. And then, of course, you've got Trevor Booker there. Um, I think Booker spends a good bit of his time playing the backup five because I don't think that Jared Allen 
right away is going to step in huge minutes. But as we talked about earlier, once the season rolls in, um, you're going to see his minutes transition up. Um, interesting guy that I know, Keith, you're going to talk about in, in a minute because you, you kind of touched on uh, we had a difference in most other people's opinion with Carroll starting is Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. Most people have him starting at the four. I'm not a big fan of what Jefferson can bring in the, the starting lineup just because he can't shoot and, and I don't think he's that great of a defender. Um, and he's somebody that I really thought was going to end up getting moved um, and still may get moved, but I thought he would have gotten moved in a trade elsewhere. But go ahead and, and touch on what you're – What's your starting five? Yes. <laughs> so this is going to be boring, and I thought we might have a little little bit of fun argument here. But I've got the same guys as you. Um, what was interesting was I, I when they made the crab trade, I was like, oh, crab's going to be great for the Nats. You know, he can really be bombs away off the bench. People were like, he's going to start. And I was like, who who's he going to start over? Because for me, I think Mozgov, Lynn, and Russell are all locks. I don't, mm-hmm. those guys, I, I, I would be surprised if anybody, you know, is in the open, assuming health and all that. I'd be surprised if anybody but those guys are in the starting five. Then we've got Carroll. I, I think he starts it for no other reason than he's a veteran. He's somebody Atkinson has a relationship with and is comfortable with. So I think he'll start. And then, so that really leaves Levert or Crab. And Karis Levert was really, really good for the Nets mm-hmm. at the end of last season. I think people are sleeping on just how good this guy was. You know, now he had a lot of injury problems at Michigan. He missed the beginning of the year as he was still recovering from a broken foot and then came back and was really, really good for Brooklyn. So I do think he's going to start at the small forward spot. I think Crab is comfortable in a bench role and I think he is, it's one of these where who cares? To some extent, because I think Crab may be on the floor at the end of games. I think that there's a really good chance he's finishing games for the Nets. Um, Hollis Jefferson, you know, you mentioned will play off the bench. A couple other guys I wanted to mention that you didn't because I'm in agreement with you on the other names you mentioned, Kilpatrick and Booker. And I'm also in agreement. I think Booker is the primary backup five man to start the year. But I think Spencer Dinwiddie will play. They really like him. What he can mm-hmm. do is a bigger point guard option. Isaiah Whitehead, kind of a combo guard guy, played a lot last year um, as they really kind of were force feeding him to see if he could be a point guard. Joe Harris, who they like, what he can do as a shooter on the wing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Quincy Acey, a guy that they brought back this this season, and you know, a bigger guy can play. You know, the four, um, and it's you know, really kind of a stretchy type of guy. Yeah, he stretched it out to three a lot last year. Yeah, season. big time. So you know, I think this is going to be one of those teams where you might see Atkinson kind of stick with five, six, seven core guys, and then all the guys around them might rotate. Um, in and out of the rotation based on kind of playing hot hands and matchups and who's doing well. And it could even be things like, like things we'll never see, like who had a good practice or, you know, who, who's really working hard, you know, in the shoot arounds or on their off days and getting in that extra work. And, you know, he's the kind of guy who rewards those, those types of things. But, but that, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. So I, I thought we might have a little bit of a difference, um, with who would start at the three between Levert and, um, and crab, but you know this 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 is probably why we're such good basketball buddies because we we yeah. <laughs> think a lot. Well, and, and for me, being a, a roster nerd, um, I'm looking forward to, especially with the Nets, these these kind of what they call training camp battles, so to speak, because you've got Whitehead against Dinwiddie for the backup minutes. That's going to be a good um, kind of test to see if Whitehead can kind of 
you know, take the reins there and get those minutes. And then curious to see if, because uh, I was high on Joe Harris coming out of Virginia, and I thought he did really well last season before he went down with injury. Yeah. So I think he can really provide um, shooting there. But now they have Alan Crabb, so um, I really hope he can push through and, and find minutes on the floor as well. But, yeah, I, I love this kind of stuff, you know, diving through the rosters and all the, you know, guys figuring out if they make the rotations or not. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that's, you know, kind of the Nets are doing what they should do. Play a bunch of different guys and see, you know, who, who sticks and who are NBA talents. Um, we, we always like to talk about what, what they still might need. It's, it's a little hard to tell because I think they're pretty much done. For me, I just kind of threw out there maybe another big, you know, might not be, be the worst thing is they've got one open roster spot. You know, I think they've got plenty of guards and wings who, who can play. So maybe one more big. Is there anything standing out to you that they really need? Uh, they could use a little bit more, I think, rebounding, yeah. like maybe a tough rebounder. Yeah. And, um, I know he's played for the, for the Nets previously and, and I, we're both a fan of, but like Thomas Robinson. Oh, man, um, that's our guy. That type of, <laughs> type, that type of rebounding, somebody that just goes after it, um, you know, it, it, something that they could use there. Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're for sure. If you're new to Pete and I, we are um, outside of the Robinson family. We're the last two members of the Thomas Robinson <laughs> fan club, or will be. Um, we both believe this guy will be an NBA player. I don't. What, what do you think? When he's maybe like 35 or 36, we might start to come off that. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, pretty much. We were just, you know, we both chimed in on Twitter that, you know, he could lead the league in rebounding, you know, if he played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we both, both really. He just him. needs the minutes. That's it. Somebody yeah, can give a minute. Give it to him, you know. It was funny as, uh, someone who, who covers the Celtics, I was like, ooh, maybe they'll, they'll, you know, throw a roster spot at Thomas Robinson and when they, was unclear how they were going to fill out the roster, but, but alas, they did not and he remains a free agent. He will catch on somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. To, to kind of close it out on the Nets cap space left, they've got between 2.1 million. That's what they're sitting on right now. They can get up to as much as 6.5 if they were to let that cap hold go for Randy Foy and then waive some of the non-guaranteed contracts or partially guaranteed guys on the roster. They still have the room exception left as well. Um, so, you know, they, they've got enough room to do what they want to do. Um, and potentially in some kind of package, they could even need a little bit of money as we get into the off season here. Um, so we're going to close out the nets with stock up, stock down. I will go first on the nets. I think stock up. You know, I, I like the guys that they had. I know Brooke Lopez is a loss, um, for them, but I think Moskov and Russell were nice additions. I like what they did in the draft with Allen. I think Allen Crabb will be good for them off their bench or, or as a starter for those who believe he will start. Um, I think Carroll may, may have a bounce back guy. They have a lot of tradable pieces with their veterans. Trevor Booker's a guy who could fetch something in trade from a team that needs one of those kind of rugged um, defense rebounder types um, there. Now, I say that stock up and they may still well be the worst team in the Eastern Conference, but I think things are headed in the right direction. And beyond that, Nets fans, chin up. This is the last year you don't have a pick. This is the last year that hashtag Nets pick for the Boston Celtics is mm-hmm. out there. Um, after this, the, uh, the Nets own their picks and it go, goes back to them. So, you know, so th- things are definitely getting brighter. You know, R- Russell, I think, is you know, for no other reason, tune in to watch the Nets to see how he is developing and what he becomes. But Pete, stock up, stock down on the Nets. Originally, because, um, you know, we put all this stuff together, um, you know, weeks ago. Um, originally, I had him down. And then they ended up, you know, bringing in Alan Crabb, so I had to put him in the stock up. 
Um, I think just, you know, the potential. I love Kenny Atkinson as a coach. And, you know, I think they can etch out, um, you know, very, very um, tough wins against some teams and, and kind of prove their worth. I don't think, like you said, they win much more. You know, they won 20 games last season. Maybe, you know, they get out, you know, four or five more wins um, at the most. They're still going to be bottom seller of the East, but they're going to be on that league pass alert um, watch for the hardcore NBA fans. So, um, you know, outside of Brooklyn Nets hardcore fans, I think you're going to see guys like D'Angelo Russell, Alan Crabb, um, and then Karis LeBert. I think he's going to have a huge year um, and really break out. So I'm going to go stock up and, and you know, have high hopes for uh, for Brooklyn this season. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, as we're kind of in the midpoint of the show, I'm just going to remind everybody, NBA Front Office Show, we are part of the Almighty Baller Network um, over there. Check out all of our great shows on almightyballer.com. Um, we, if you are interested in an NBA podcast, guaranteed there is one there that fits the bill for you, whether it's a certain team or it's a style or just some of those more uh um, off the wall, general wacky kind of shows. Those are out there as well. I, you know, I can assure you that is not this show. Um, neither Pete and I are that wacky or off the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're going to have to go elsewhere for that, but it is part of there. So again, we're part of the Almighty Baller Network. We're thrilled to be a part of the team over there making, you know, all these these great um, shows for you and content as part of the team um, at Almighty Baller. If you are enjoying our show, NBA Front Office, please um, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help out the show. It means a lot to us. It helps us climb those rankings. And more importantly, tell a friend. You know, let, let them know that we're out there. We are, you know, by the end of this show, by the time you're done listening, we'll be four teams deep into the off season and we've got 26 more to go and we will knock out all, all 26 of those teams, um, one way or another, um, over the course here of the next couple of months before the NBA season is back up and running. Um, we will get into it probably even quicker than that. Um, as we, you know, we'll, we'll want to take a little bit of downtime and get into some other stuff here, but, um, we're going to move on now to the Charlotte Hornets and their off season. Charlotte did um the reason why we're combining them charlotte charlotte did a couple big things but not not a whole heck of a lot so i think we'll get through the hornets here kind of quickly but again starting with guys that they lost i'm going to kind of lump them all together because in my opinion i don't think they're going to miss any of them marco bellarelli miles Plumley, brian roberts ramon sessions Briante Weber and Christian Wood. Just to be fair, Bellinelli and Plumley they were traded to the Hawks for Dwight Howard. We'll talk about Dwight Howard in a minute when we talk about the players coming in. Brian Roberts was... This guy feels like he's been on the Hornets, you know, back and forth, back and forth for years. He um, was not re-signed. He actually signed with Greece in Greece with Olympiacos, so he will be playing overseas this year. Ramon Sessions caught on with the Knicks as the Knicks were looking to bring in a veteran point guard after they lost Derrick Rose to the Cavaliers, and they you know, wanted to have a veteran in there with Frank Nilakina and Ron Baker. Briante Weber, he was waived just recently in the last week or so. Um, no cap hit for Weber. He didn't have any he kind of he was about to hit some contract guarantees, so the Charlotte Hornets moved on from him. And then Christian Wood, he's a free agent. Wood is one of those guys, Pete. I know as a Sixers fan, you were probably at one point thought this guy was going to be good too. I know I did, and I was like, I, they caught him I, I, a couple I, years ago, but yeah. he's, just, he's not good. Um, I watched, no, I watched him you... in summer league a couple times now, and he's just he, he isn't a good basketball player. So 
And, and last season he got outplayed by a 10 day contract guy, Mike Toby out of Virginia. And I mean, that just said everything you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Wood, when, when the Hornets had all kinds of injuries up front, I, I, I know for Zeller was out. I think Kaminsky was out. I think Marvin Williams might have been out. Rather than bring Wood up and play him, who was on the roster, they went out and got Johnny O'Brien, and then they brought in Mike Toby, and both of those guys played while Wood stayed down in the G League. So that pretty much says all you need to know there. Um, Bellinelli, he was all right off the bench. You know, nothing special. He he is what he is at this point in his career. We talked about him, what he'll bring the Hawks on the Hawks side. Miles Plumlee, he who knows why they traded for him in the first place. That deal made absolutely no sense when it happened. And the best thing they did was moved him along again to bring in Dwight Howard. Roberts and Sessions, their backup level point guards. Briante Weber, not even sure he is an NBA level point guard at this point. He, he really had a rough summer league in Orlando, really struggled um, to do things in a, in a situation where he really should have performed much better. Um, so, so that's the guys that are out. Let's, let's talk about the guys who are in because I think these are a lot better, more interesting names. Dwayne Bacon, he was their second round draft pick. He signed a three year deal, um, two guaranteed, fully guaranteed years, um, with the, the Hornets. I watched him play in summer league. Um, their other draft pick who we'll talk about in a minute, Malik Monk, he was held out because he had kind of a nagging ankle injury that he had suffered in draft workouts. So Bacon really, to some extent, became a featured guy in the offense, especially by the end of the week this guy has a sweet mid-range game um, which I know is kind of being phased out in the NBA but he can knock down mid-range jumpers he's got a good good body um, already for the NBA he, he needs to work on his deep ball as well as his um, ability to get all the way to the rim and finish as well as his defense you know again you know, check rookie name here needs to work on defense. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, I think Bacon is a kind of guy who he's probably going to log some G League time with the Greensboro Swarm. Hornets are one of those teams that has their G League team nice and close so they can, can do that. They can, you know, practice with the one with the big club and then head over and get that valuable game action. So I think that's what you can expect out of him. But ultimately, I think he could be a guy who could be a bench guy in the NBA who comes in on the wing and can give you you know, seven, eight, nine points off the bench at some point. What do you think about Bacon? Um, the player, exactly not the said, food. The player, not yeah, the food. Exactly as I said in our draft show, I think he's more of right now a G League guy. I think he can step right into the G League, 25 points a game easily, high usage rate. Um, all the things that you touched on, his outside shooting defense and ability to get to the rim are absolutely things he needs to work on. Um, although his mid-range game is elite-level um, you know, in my opinion of, of what he showed at the NBA level, but because the NBA kind of frowns upon that, that mid range shot, um, I think him developing on those other things, um, as the season goes in the G League will help him. Um, not to say that he won't get minutes for the Hornets because I think he will get some spot minutes as the season moves on, but he's a quick, you know, give you six, seven points in a hurry and, and that's pretty much what he can do. Yeah, you know, and he, um, like I said, it took him a little while to adjust, but what was exciting was he adjusted quickly in the uh, mm-hmm. G League. So it was good to see um, him, or the G, in Summer League, rather. Um, he adjusted pretty quickly and was able to do, you know, really well by the end of the week. So I think, you know, I think you're right. I think he's going to do quite well in the G League, and then we'll see. Hopefully he's not one of those fringe guys who just floats between the two for a handful of years and never quite makes it. The other guy, now we know exactly what this guy is, Michael Carter-Williams, uh, former Rookie of the Year who was let go before the end of his rookie scale 
contract. So that, you know, unfortunately, I think that says about as much of the quality of that draft class as it does anything about Carter Williams. Mm -hmm. But he is, he didn't have a good year. He really struggled with Chicago. He can't shoot at all. At this point, I have, he won't be a shooter. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on record saying that. I just, I don't believe it will ever come for him. Everything about his shot is broken. He, he, he doesn't shoot it at the right time. As far as in terms of his lift, his elbow flies out sometimes. Other times it's way too tight to his body. It doesn't create a good shooting window. It just, the whole thing's a mess. Um, that said, I just killed the guy. I like this signing for Charlotte. Um, they got nothing out of their backup point guards last year, so who cares? They they stunk. So he's if he, even if he stinks, he's just as good as them. And their other guards, Malik Monk and Kemba Walker, they're both small. Um, you know, so those those two guys are are smaller guys. I think Carter Williams could come in and play with those two guys, especially because those two guys can shoot it enough to make up for the fact that Carter Williams can't. And one thing he can still do is break guys down off the dribble, get into the paint, and find shooters. So I think he has the potential to be a solid backup point guard for the Hornets. What do you think? Uh, perfectly said. Being able at six five, six six, being able to break a guy down, get in the middle of the lane, and then find a guy. That's where he's good at. Um, the problem in Chicago is, you know, they, you know, not to kill Chicago too much, but they were just trying to find a, an identity at that point guard spot once they didn't want to play Rondo. And um, before that, Milwaukee kind of had some ups and downs, but did um, show some some good traits in, in Philadelphia, Michael Carter-Williams did. And, um, I am not a huge Michael Carter-Williams fan, but in Charlotte with the fit, just being able to play that, you know, 12 to 15 minute range behind Kemba Walker and even besides Kemba Walker with his height, I think it'll help because he can technically post up small guards, um, and find guys in, in passing lanes and things like that. Now he's not going to post up and look to score. So, you know, don't, you know, anybody that's listening, don't kill me and think he's going to put up, you know, Sean Livingston type post up numbers, but. Um, having that height, I think he can find guys. In defense, he can get in the lane and, and you know, kind of deflect passes as well. So he is going to have an attribute, even though I thought he was more of a uh, Chinese league-type signing. So it's funny. I'm really glad you mentioned Sean Livingston. Because when I think about Carter Williams and what he should be hoping for for his career path now, Sean Livingston mm-hmm. always comes to mind. A little bit smaller than Livingston. Livingston's a, you know, legit six foot seven, and I think, Carter Williams is really more about six five or so. Mm-hmm. But he he does have some of that same like he can go in against those six foot guards and kinda of punish them inside, whether it be to find you know, find guys out of the post or, you know, score a little bit himself. And mm-hmm. Livingston has become one of the better post up guards in the entire yep. NBA. So if Carter Williams wants to develop, you know, he could do a lot worse than using Sean Livingston as kind of his um developmental model, if you will. Um I'm glad you mentioned that one. Uh let's move on to the big one, Dwight Howard. Um he came in, we we broke this one down before, but we'll get back into it here. Um for Plumley and Bellinelli, the the cost was nothing. You know, neither one of those guys really matter for the uh, Hornets at all. Um, so Howard comes in um, there. It's it's going to be interesting, though, because now they, they've got a lot of bigs. They've got Howard. They've got mm-hmm. Zeller. They've got Kaminsky. Those guys are probably all best to play the five. Um, even Kaminsky. I know, I know Kaminsky and Zeller can both play the four a little bit, but it, neither one of them, I think, can really defend well enough to play um, the four and play out on the perimeter against um, the, the opposing four-man. 
Howard's got two years left, $23.5 million this year, $23.8 million next year, both fully guaranteed, no options on those. He was an interesting player. It looked at times with Atlanta like Dwight Howard's done, like he, he's mm-hmm. got nothing left. But then he would turn it on and be like, man, Dwight Howard can still play. You know, he still, you know, attacks the glass, you know, with Frost. He's still one of the better rebounders in the entire NBA. Um, can still block some shots when he's engaged and feeling good. Still a good, you know, guy that you can throw lobs up to inside and do some things. Still probably stronger than what, 95% of the NBA. Um, you know, can still, you know, you, you throw a little guy on him. He's just going to ragdoll him right out of the, the way and get what he wants inside. But, it's just, it's, it's not, it doesn't come often enough now, you know, at this point in his career. He is now played 13 years. Can you believe that? That's crazy. I remember when he got drafted and, and being here in Atlanta, I got to see him when he was in high school. Yeah, thir- thir- 13 years and he's going to be 32 in December. Mm-hmm. You know, so now, I mean, now you're, you're full on in the phase where, all right, this guy, you know, and he's older and he's got a lot of miles on him, right? Cause he's, cause he, basically came right in the league and started playing big minutes right out of the jump um, with the Magic. Mm-hmm. It, it, as an aside, if you're a Magic fan, really interesting comments that he said he tried to get back to Orlando last year. I think um, he might have realized that he he made a mistake leaving Orlando. He was the face of the franchise. People loved him here. He was absolutely um, the guy here, franchise player for the Magic when he left town. But but that, that's another story for another day. He's now with the Hornets. What do you think Dwight Howard brings the Charlotte Hornets as he's reunited with Steve Clifford, who he had a lot of success when Clifford was an assistant coach with the Magic? That's the thing. Under Clifford, Clifford's going to bring out, bring out Dwight Howard's defensive intensity, being able to alter shots if he's not able to fully block them. Um, rebounding the ball is, is where Howard is going to be able to focus the most on. Um, the question that I have um, outside of the glut of big men for Charlotte with bringing on Dwight Howard is what is his on-the-court mentality going to be? Is he going to want to demand the ball kind of like he did in Atlanta where he thought he should, should still be the focal point of the offense? Or is he going to be able to fit in, still get, you know, put back dunks, um, you know, get an alley-oop here or there and just let Kemba Walker and, and those other guys kind of um, create offense for him and make it easier? Um, I hope that's the case and it's a seamless fit in Charlotte, but we'll have to see. I Overall, I – I don't know yet. It's still be to be determined for me, for for overall for Charlotte and Dwight Howard. Yeah, I, I just you know Cody Zeller was really good for them last year when mm-hmm. he was healthy. They, he, they he played good defense. They were a good team. You know when he was healthy. I'll go as far as saying if he didn't miss time, I think they might have been a playoff team last year. I, I think they are one of the teams when you look at it, they should be considered in prime candidates to bounce back and get back into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And that's not necessarily due to the East stinks. You know, I think think that they are a, you know, solid team that, you know, could be in the mix there. Um, you know, so it's it's just I, I don't know. I, I I have some reservations, especially when you just gave Zeller a big contract extension that kicks in this year. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what makes it kind of tough. You know, Zeller is getting um, – starts this season at $12.5 million, almost 12.6, four-year $56 million contract extension. Now, in terms of numbers compared to what some other guys are getting, that's a steal. But now you're, you've are you got invested 
36 plus million dollars in centers uh, that's that's tough you know to have um and i'm going to use this to the point here pete did, do you have any kind of salary sheets up i do not okay good how many players on the hornets make more money than kemba walker mm, just guess i would uh six yeah five yeah he's the, uh, he's five, the sixth okay. highest paid player goes dwight howard nick batum then uh, Marvin Williams, then Michael K. Gilchrist, then Cody Zeller, then Kemba Walker. Six highest paid mm. player and the best player on the team. Wow. Yeah, and incredible. it'll be the same way next year. All those same guys are all under contract and all make more money than Kemba Walker next year. Wow. Well. So uh, just something to be aware of uh, there, that if, if uh, things don't start going better for the Hornets, that could potentially be a problem. Not that Kemba Walker's that kind of guy, but you you don't want your best player being your sixth highest paid guy um, for, mm-hmm. for very long on the team. So um, speaking of which, let, let's move into a guy who's not going to make a lot of money this year, but I know they are super excited about in Charlotte, Malik Monk. Um, drafted in the first round, we we said it at the draft show. Someone was going to slide, and Malik Monk was that guy. He slid, and the Hornets pounced. Now they've had a yep. lot of success with guys like Monk, right? Walker is kind of similar. Is he really a point guard, or is he kind of a scoring point? Is he a shooter? Like what is he? And Malik Malik Monk is, you know, he he's a little bit that. You know, he's kind. I I personally think he's more of a off the ball player. And an on-ball player, yep, exactly, which is why I think he fits really good with Carter Williams um, in the backcourt as their their backup backcourt. I, th- I think they'll do quite well um, playing with each other um, in lineups, and you know, but he he can shoot it. You know, this guy if if any, he can do anything, he can shoot it. He might be the best shooter coming into uh, the NBA this year out of this draft class. I, I know a lot of people like a couple other guys too, but you know, Monk is certainly right up there on any list. What are your thoughts about Monk, and what specifically? What do you think his role is going to be this year for the Hornets? Oh, he's going to absolutely be a day one off the bench scorer for them. Um, I think coming off the dribble is a strong shoot, shoot shooting from three. Um, he has very good quickness, can get up and down the floor, dunks it very well. Um, but one thing with him is he does not look to get to the rim often enough. Um, obviously, all his dunks are basically transition finishes. Um, I think what the Hornets will look to develop is getting him a little bit on the ball in occasions, being able to get him comfortable in that role, um, you know, coming off screens, you know, with pull-ups, things like that. Um, or you could try to attack the lane. Um, with that elite quickness, um, I think that's going to help him. The thing that's going to hinder him, um, and a good point that you brought up playing next to Michael Carter-Williams, is he's an undersized two at only 6'3". So um, he's going to have to play next to a you know bigger guard. I don't know that you really want to play Monk and Kemba Walker in long stretches together on the floor um, just because of the size. But um, overall, best-case scenario, I think you're going to see Malik Monk be – um, kind of a Lou Williams type uh, scorer for for his career, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and, and I think that for me, that's his floor. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think he could end up even better than that. I do. Think he is going to be limited by the fact that he's only six three. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that he ever can be a starting two guard at that. Maybe you can get away with him one of those where if you have a um, a good ball handling wing alongside him and he can play the point there because he can defend the position. He'll be fine to defend mm-hmm. most point guards. So, you know, that, that'll that be interesting to see where he goes. And then 
that's really it for the big moves for the Hornets. They, you know, but we do take you through everything that they did. Johnny O'Brien, um, he became fully guaranteed as of yesterday, August 1st. Um, we're recording this on, on August the 2nd. He did become fully guaranteed on August the 1st, unless there was a move of the guarantee date, which does happen sometimes and it doesn't go reported. Uh, but I have not seen anything that indicates that. I've reached out to a couple people that said they did not hear of that either. So it looks like Johnny O'Brien became fully guaranteed, which is a good move. Um, I know, I know when I talk to some of the Charlotte folks in Orlando for summer league, they think he has a potential to develop into being like a Brandon Bass type of guy. Um, which if you mm-hmm. watch him play, eerily similar, including all the way down to their jumper. Um, they, yeah. they both kind of shoot it exactly the same, um, which is, you know, kind of, kind of interesting. And, um, you know, both LSU guys, both six, nine, you know, it's, it's, it's a little weird. Um, so I don't know if it was just a sloppy, easy comparison, um, but, it, but it's a good one nonetheless. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, your, your goal is right that he's your fifth guy, which is fine. You mm-hmm. know, if he's your fifth big at the minimum, okay. You know, no big deal there. Um, they also did, um, sign, uh, a couple of guys just today, um, news broke a couple of guys that they're going to bring in for, um, summer, uh, type contracts, camp bodies, Isaiah Hicks and TJ Williams. Hicks is a local guy, played at UNC. He's a forward and Williams is a guard out of Northeastern. I probably know, um, uh, Williams a little, little bit better than I know Hicks. Just he's, he's a Boston guy. I follow kind of the Boston schools as well. Williams is a good scoring guard. Um, can do some things. Look, looked all right in summer league. You know, nothing, you know, overly special from him. And, uh, Hicks is a guy, um, out of North Carolina. You know, that's probably more of a throw the local fans a bone. Um, more than anything, I'd be surprised if either one of them makes it, but they're both good bets to be affiliate players to go to Greensboro and help flesh out the, the G League squad there. Do you have real any thoughts on Hicks or Williams? Um, Hicks a little bit more than, than Williams. Hicks can give you a little bit of, of scoring down low, um, can rebound, um, especially on the, on the defensive end. Uh, considerably well, but yeah, I mean, he's basically a guy that's going to end up in the, in the G League and um, you know, being an affiliate guy. And then I don't know, um, Williams as much other than, you know, just six three and, um, you know, has a six eight wingspan and, and things like that. Um, doesn't necessarily shoot incredibly well from the outside, but, um, does end up, you know, kind of trending better as a more facilitator, uh, type that, you know, could help in, in the G League as well. Yeah, and then two two-way contracts signed by the Hornets as well. Marcus Page, another local guy, a North Carolina guy. He's a guard. He was drafted. Um, he was he was drafted by the Nets, but traded um, to the Jazz. Then went to training camp, played in the preseason with the Jazz, and did not make the team um, out of Utah. Was waived, so they lost his draft rights. He played down in the G League uh, for all of last year. Played in summer league. He he could do something. He's a, he's an okay standstill shooter, but he can't really create off the dribble. Can't get his own shot. Um, doesn't have any kind of pull up game you know he's just very limited um player he's not you know mm-hmm. not, not going to do a whole heck of a lot um there but again good kind of two-way guy to have um there and it never hurts to have again a local guy a, a north carolina guy um on the roster and then um full disclosure we had to look this guy's name up to see how you pronounce it but uh mango Mathiang, um and that that's what it says that's how it pronounces it so if, if i'm saying that wrong somebody please hit me up he played for the hornets in summer league and he he's is basically 
the embodiment of every Rick Pitino big man ever. Um, he's not overly skilled, but he plays really, really hard and um, does, you know, some nice things as far as uh, rebounding and getting inside, plays, you know, with a lot of energy. Um, six foot ten, he's already 24 years old, so a little, little on the older side. He'll be 25 at the start of the season, which is very old um, for an NBA rookie um, at this point. So he, he's, you know, again, signed to a two-way contract. It's kind of, at this point, with so many other bigs on the roster, it's hard to see him ever making any sort of NBA impact this year but you know it's one of those man and he's so raw yeah yeah Uh, yeah you know foul prone you know obviously the the age um as far as for a draft prospect no offensive game um you know but his his motor is what's basically getting him a look um very high motor and and um you know excels at um, you know, rebounding. So yep. he'll get a look and, you know, be in the G League. Yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do. So, so that's the, uh, Hornets offseason wrapped up. You know, they, they didn't do a lot, but a couple, put the big move, Dwight Howard, and then, uh, the big draft addition in Malik Monk, uh, Bacon, Michael Carter Williams, you know, some nice depth pieces. They're basically bringing the gang back together around those guys. So, um, what I'm going to take us into now is our questions. Who starts? Who, who do you think starts? Well, you've got um, two returning starters in Batum uh, playing the shooting guard spot, Kimball Walker um, at point guard. I should say three because you've got uh, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist um, at small forward. I think those three um, start there. Um, power forward, I still think you've got to go. Um, I mean, to me, it's a toss-up between you could play Kaminsky there or Williams. I know people have thrown out. Zeller. I don't like Zeller as a four. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw Marvin Williamson at the power forward spot. So that gives you four returning starters there. And then I slot Dwight Howard as a starter um, at the five. Um, Zeller is the direct backup at um, center. Kaminsky kind of backs up um, Williams at power forward. Can slide over to the center, um, which you mentioned earlier. I think he's a little bit better suited, but because of so many um, minutes going to Howard and Zeller. I think he plays, you know, the four. O'Brien's there in a pinch to play either one of those spots. Um, and then backing up the small forward spot, it's going to be interesting to find minutes. Um, Trevion Graham uh, played last year, majority of the time in the G League. But I think he showed in summer league that he can shoot the three ball. He's, you know, athletic. Um, he may be able to find some minutes. But then you've got Jeremy Lamb. As well, people tend to forget how well he can score in bunches too. Um, so I think he can slide over to the three, play some backup minutes, and then you've got Dwayne Bacon there at the three and the and the two. Yeah. Um, Monk coming off the bench as a elite scorer at the two guard spot, plays small pinch minutes um, at point guard, and then of course the backup point guard to Campbell Walker is Michael Carterway. Yeah. So. I, I'm with you as far as the starters. I you can't start Howard and Zeller together. They they just get killed um, together as the starting you know front front court. You got to have Williams in there um, for that. I you know Kid Gilchrist because he's the best defender on the team. You know he's going to be out there. Batum and Walker, their locks, and and Howard's not going to be okay coming off the bench. 
So, no. yeah, so he's going to definitely start. And then for me, I think you're, you're really probably going to go nine deep, 10 if you need, need to, mm-hmm. but it'll be Zeller, Monk, Kaminsky, and Carter Williams. I think Zeller and Howard will about split the difference playing time wise. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be more of a matchup based. If you need more defense and rebounding, it'll be Howard. If you need some offense, it'll be Zeller. Monk's going to play a lot. Kaminsky, Carter Williams. And then I think Lamb is, he's the next guy up. Um, I think, you know, he'll, he'll slide in there where he can, but where I think he gets probably pushed to the back end of the rotation is because of the versatility they have now, because you can play, mm-hmm. you know, Batum can slide up to the three. You can play Carter Williams. If you really wanted to could play the three, you know, at times, um, Williams can slide down to the three if you really need him to, um, you know, and then you still obviously have, have kid kill kid Gilchrist at the two. You've got kid Gilchrist can play there, Batum Walker could monk can Carter Williams could, you know, defensively if you needed him to. Uh, so that's, that's where I think Lamb fills out. And then the rest of the guys, they're kind of your your deeper bench um, guys, Graham, O'Brien, and Bacon probably in the G League. And then we'll see if, you know, Hicks or Page, uh, I'm sorry, Hicks or um, Williams make it, or, um, you know, Matthew or Page can play their way out of a two-way and into a full contract, or if they fill it out some other way. But one of the challenges for the Hornets is, I think, maybe one more shooter. Yeah, maybe, because it's really, mm-hmm. it's kind of Monk and Kaminsky off the bench. But, you know, there's not a lot that stands out for me that, that they need. Is there anything that stands out for you that they need? I mean, maybe you could look to go with another, you know, point guard to fill in. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I don't, true. There's not, I mean, there's not a definite, definite need other than that. I actually think that they may be one of the teams that kind of keeps that fluidity of, of keeping that extra roster spot open. Yeah, absolutely could. And they, you know, and in the beginning part of the year, because again, with these two way contracts, they, they were only allowed 45 days on the NBA roster. That's games, practices, travel days. Anytime that they're up with the NBA team can only be for 45 days. Then you have to convert them into a straight NBA contract, a minimum deal. Um, so. But that only starts when the G League season's going on. And so it starts when G League season tips off, and then it ends when the G League playoffs end, or when the G League team season ends. So if they don't make the G League playoffs or something like that, it ends even earlier. So because of that, they could get away with, you know, Marcus Page. You know, he could be that third point guard. But they really, I think they got that covered anyway, because you got Walker, Carter Williams, Monk could probably do it, you know, if you needed him to. Um, mm-hmm. Batum's such a, you know, ball handling guy anyway you could probably get away with it you know if you as long as you could have a defender out there so you know that could be the way they go but yeah that that would be a spot you know a third third point guard um would be interesting there especially with um roberts and sessions and weber all gone um there but but this is the challenge part is they don't have any cap space left they have 4.9 million left of the non-taxpayer mid-level exception and they have the biannual exception, but the Hornets are pushing right again, right up against the tax line. They're 3.3 million under the luxury tax. So that's a lot closer than I think they really want to be. I don't think they want to be a tax team this season. So I'm not entirely sold, um, much like I think you are that they're going to do much beyond just adding some camp guys and seeing how this plays out. Cause I don't think, I don't think they want to get themselves into being a tax team. If they can avoid it. Um, and that takes us to the last question. And I'll let you go first this time. Stock up or stock down for the Charlotte Hornets? I've actually got to go stock down. Um, I don't like Dwight Howard taking minutes away from the development of Kaminsky and um, paying Zeller all that money um, to put him as a backup. Because Zeller will be, what, 25? 
And I think you're just hindering kind of his develop to, development to see what you have in Dwight Howard. And where I caution with Charlotte is, are they going to make the same mistake that Atlanta did, where Dwight's happy-go-lucky to start the season, and then when he's not getting the role he desires, he disrupts the locker room, and it just kind of blows up from there. Not to say that that's going to happen again, but that's just where I caution things. And I don't think that they did enough to really – um, you know, kind of make a jump. They were middle of the pack, um, 14th in both offensive and defensive rating um, last season, and I think they're right there again. Now, the plus side of things, I do think they sneak into the playoffs, whether it's the 7th or 8th seed, somewhere in there, um, you know, for this season. But I think, as you touched on earlier last season, had Zeller not gone down, I think they would have easily made the playoffs. So I think they're right in the same spot that they would have been last season. So I'm going to go stock down. Peter took all show. We disagreed on something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I have them stock up, um, which I know you, you know, cause you saw it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, you know, for me is you make a ton of good points and it can, it could all go really wrong. Um, for them with Dwight, especially if for some reason they, they try to move him to the bench. I just don't think it's going to go well. It would not surprise me if this is a one year thing where he's in Charlotte for the year and then he's gone, um, and shipped, shipped out of town, um, elsewhere or maybe even at the trade deadline if they need to because, because of Cody Zeller, you didn't pay him that much to be your backup and they, they can't play together. And like you mentioned, they have Kaminsky, who, you know, he needs to play too. And, you know, ideally, I, I was fine with them having Zeller and Kaminsky as their, their five men. You know, and I think they, they would have been just fine, you know, with that. So the Howard trade will be interesting to see. You know, maybe Steve Clifford can coax, you know, a big year out of them and get one more year. But, you know, at this point, I just struggle to see it. But, but, but despite that, I like the Carter Williams edition, as I said. I really think Malik Monk's going to be a terrific NBA player for them. Um, I like the fact that they're, I think they're just going to be healthier this year. I think that's going to be a big part of it. Um, I think, you know, uh, Walker is really blossoming, blossoming into an all-star. You know, I think Nick Batum is a, you know, perennially underrated player. Marvin Williams is better than people give him credit for. I, you know, it's tough because I don't want to go crazy because, again, it is Eastern Conference, but I do think this is a playoff team, and I think that the Hornets, they might have been that anyway, so it's hard to say because of any of the offseason additions that that caused them to be up, but, you know, that's, that's you know, it'll be curious to see where, where it goes. I could see them finishing really anywhere from 5th to 11th in the East or so. Um, that's just off the top of my head without really thinking it through, um, and it all kind of depends on, health and how guys fit into roles and maybe not playing as many minutes as they want and things like that. But it'll be interesting. Steve Clifford might be on the hot seat a little bit. Um, yeah, know, I agree. Yeah, I, as, I, as is the front office, like Rich yeah, Cho you know, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, I do. I, I think they've, you know, going to have, have a big year. And again, I'm, I don't want to, you know, try to um, make it out like I'm saying Kevin Walker is this kind of guy, but if they're struggling and they're not a good team, watch that because I don't think you can have Kemba Walker being your sixth highest paid player on your roster for two straight seasons when he's clearly the best player on the team. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that works for anybody. Um, but that's going to close us out here tonight. I know we went a little long, but we wanted to get two teams into the show, the Brooklyn Nets and the Charlotte Hornets. So, you know, please let us know your feedback. You can find both Pete and I on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Pete, what's your Twitter? It's at Pete Toll NBA, P-E-T-E-T-O-A-L-N-B-A. 
And like I said, you find find us on on Twitter. Give us any feedback. You can also find my email address pinned to my pinned in my Twitter bio. I should say, um, or in in there. I guess pinned's not the right word to use. I, I don't know. I'm old. I don't know enough about this stuff. But anyway, it is. Um, you can find my email there. Send me any email if you want to send anything longer. If you're really enjoying the show, please again head over to iTunes and give us a five star rating and review. It really does help the show. It helps us gain um, followers and listens and exposures. And Pete and I both want to be able to bring you the best show possible. In order to do that, we'd like to get up to a point where we can get advertisers interested, which then allows us to put a little bit more into the show because it allows us to do a little bit less in other parts of our life. We'd rather be spending that time on basketball. But at, at any rate, again, this has been the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we'll talk to you next time. An ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.